1: Hi, this is Chris Cooper and great to be back with you again for yet another week. And uh, Today we're going to talk about how to master your market with uh, my guest, uh, Paul Charity. Before we talk to Paul, I'd like to say a big thank you to my guest last week, the castle man, Roger Masterson, who talked about how he went from thinking he was stupid at the age of 27 to discovering that he had dyslexia, uh, to today being the founder of Celtic Castles and a very successful entrepreneur. And I love the idea that if you want to make a difference, you need to be a multiplier. Uh, Someone who can create a ripple effect through their work and their markets. Also, um, how you should um, work hard to keep um, building your asset base. I spent time yesterday with Roger. We were hiking up in North Yorkshire. and We were talking about business ideas. And I was really impressed by his ability to grow successful business and also um, you know, the way that he actually um, takes people out walking in the hills um, for business meetings uh, amongst uh, beautiful countryside. Um, so a great way there. If you, uh, you want to have a business meeting you know, want to go for a walk and do it, um, it can be just as productive. So if one, from one multiplier uh, and must-go-to expert in his market sector to another, pinpointing your target market can be a real challenge, let alone learning how to master it. And I was personally um, interested and personally invited my guest Paul Charity to join me on this show as I'm really very impressed with his work. I first found out about Paul when a highly respected industry professional forwarded his newsletter and said, this is the newsletter you should read. Paul not only created the must-read newsletter for his sector, he's also developed a range of services, from sold-out masterclasses and conferences to international innovation uh, trips. He's had a varied career. He's uh, combined journalism with direct experience of founding a multi-site pub company. He was editor of a weekly newspaper in Lincolnshire, uh, which is actually the county that I was born, at the age of 28. And in his early 30s, he co-founded the Bulldog Hotel Group. And most recently, he edited The Publican's Morning Advertiser, spending 10 years on the magazine, which during its time, it became a market leader. So today, I really want to discover how to become the must-read, go-to expert in your marketplace, and to find out from Paul things like, how do you go about creating and writing a newsletter that really gains traction? So a big welcome to Paul Charity. Hi, Chris. Hi, good to have you on the show, Paul. Thanks for inviting me. You're very welcome. So, Paul, do you want to start by telling us a little bit about you know, your early years and what led to your passion for journalism?
2: Uh, certainly, yeah. Thanks, Chris. Um, I was brought up in uh, in Boston, Lincolnshire, uh, which is quite a small market town. Um, I can't say that uh, in my teenage years I had the drive that I see now with uh, teenagers who seem to have a very focused view of what they want to achieve um, worked quite hard. My you know, my my daughter is a good example of that. Uh, kind of drifted through my teenage years. Like came eventually to finding uh, a career. Uh, I kind of more or less was back to into a corner and thought, "What the hell can I do?" And decided that you know I liked reading newspapers. And I like gathering facts, information. I like writing. Maybe journalism was the uh, the right uh, course for me.
1: Excellent. And how did that? Uh, you know, how did that kind of you moved on from journalism there um, into the sector that you're in now. You know, I've been very impressed with, with what you've done there and you've, you've become the sort of the must-read person in licensed retail, food service, tourism and hospitality sectors over here. Now, what you, what led you to move from that journalism to setting up your own business and uh, how did the services that you offer come about?
2: Um, well, um, it's kind of to you say with a must-read. Um, the, I mean, but uh, the reason I was always interested in hospitality was my, my parents came from that background. Um, they started a, a, uh, a, a cafe business in their, in their late thirties, my early teenage years, uh, which went on to be a wine bar and a pub and nightclub. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was always kind of versed in hospitality uh, and was a witness to them successfully creating businesses. Uh, and I, I'm probably someone that's uh, the risk-adverse end of the scale. Um, but, you know, I, I suppose looking back, I, I watched them uh, serially s- start things uh, without too much concern about whether they'd, they'd fail, um, you know, optimistic, convinced that it would work, and in each case, those businesses did work. Um, and I, I don't think without our early, first-hand uh, experience, watching them start businesses that succeeded, uh, I... Might not have the uh, the courage to do it myself later on. Anyway, <laughs>
1: well, you've got you've gone and done that, and do you know you're just mentioning there that they, you know, they seem to, you know, just imagine them, them succeeding, uh, as opposed to you know, maybe thought about them not succeeding, and yeah. um, you know, is that sort of been a key factor for you really, just
2: having that faith? I think it's a funny thing I've, I've reflected on this, and uh, I remember hearing the guy that founded Wagamama, Alan Yeo, talking about uh, how you know how you see. Uh, success uh, panning out for, for business when you started how much doubt do you have in your mind and the value of that and he said that by the time he launched the business he's thought so carefully about every single aspect of the particular business that he has no doubt that it's, it's going to succeed, it's a fully formed thing in his mind that he knows will actually uh, work when the doors open and I remember talking to mum a couple, three months ago and saying did you ever have any doubt that you'd succeed? And she said, "Well, that didn't occur to us. You know, we were just convinced that it uh, would succeed." Uh, I'm someone that's a bit more cautious than that, and <laughs> generally uh, think long and hard about every possible uh, problem. Uh, and uh, um, but uh, anyhow, it came to pass. We we set the business up three years ago. Excellent.
1: So you're three years in, but. Uh you know, we were just talking about the event you've got next week with yeah. 330 people going. I know you had one last week with 120. And and you seem to be, you know, selling out these events, don't you? You've, you've created something which yeah. is clearly attracting an audience.
2: Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, to go back to first principles and, and why, uh, why I started Propel, the, the kind of gap in the market I saw, uh, it goes back to my, my starting in journalism. Um, uh, and when I, I first started it was a very long, complicated, labour-intensive process involving typing a story on a typewriter with a carbon folio, mm-hmm. having it marked up, subbed, rekeyed, printed, driven in a van, newsprint-wise, the newsagent, then sold three or four days often after you've actually written the story. You know, the, the huge uh, change in, in journalism, essentially, in, in my time, is, is the digital revolution, which means that, you know, that connection with your reader can be what is much more immediate than it ever ever was just 15, 20 years ago. At the press of a button, you can send information out to, to your readership uh, in, a, in a matter of seconds. Um, so create a much more direct, intimate relationship with, uh, with a community of readers. That's the huge difference. Uh, and going on to, to the second part of the business, really, um, you know, having um, spent three years establishing a sizable readership in the sector you know, we have a chance to hold events and study tours and conferences and networking uh, opportunities that meet the needs of, of, um, of our readership, essentially. And the third leg of the business, really, the third thing that's made our business possible, if you like, is, the, is one of the uh, macro change in terms of uh, what you might call food service in the UK. Within the past decade... Um, essentially what we've seen in the UK, we've all, we all see this on the high street, is the arrival of um, professional, systemized, multi-site food and drink uh, operators. So just 10 years ago, you know, WeatherStreet was around, Peace Express was around, but there simply weren't the number of, of multi-site companies um, that exist in the marketplace right now. So for the consumer, you know, you know, it's a great moment in in time in the sense that there was much more by way of exciting reliable uh, branded uh, eating and, and and drinking opportunities out there and from my uh, perspective as someone who supplies information about market we have a much larger uh, community than existed 10 years ago
1: Right, so it's become it' been a lot more a lot more individual operators than uh, than those people who used to have the bit more of a monopoly
2: well, I think it's uh, unfortunately um, it's the, what you're seeing is the decline of the independent, if you like. Right. Same with uh, as with uh, you know the corner shop. Um, you know what's what's contracting in the uh, in this, uh, the marketplace is you know the, the the mom and pop restaurants and pub. You know you hear about pubs closing. Those are the kinds of pubs that are closing, run by yeah. a couple who are you know looking doing their last job before retirement, perhaps. Lifestyle opportunity, and they're being replaced by, you know, by, by companies, by you know, smaller multi-site operators with five, six, seven pubs, gastro pub operators who come out the big companies. You're seeing a rippling out of expertise from our larger companies. You know, and that includes people like Midland Butlers, who have 1,600 pubs, the Green Kings, even the McDonalds. You know, Alan Yao, I mentioned at Wagamama, uh, who's a, a genius in restaurant terms. Um, you know, he started his career with uh, McDonald's where he learned systems. Oh. So essentially, in terms of the evolution of the sector in the UK, you know, what we're seeing now is the UK market becoming more like the American market. The, the probably the second most developed market in the, in the world in terms of many more professional, systemized uh, multi-site operators than we saw even 10 years ago. So, br- uh, br- Branded, many of them. and uh, right a so Many branded, yeah, many unbranded um but essentially you know getting economies of scale and applying expertise and systems to you know to uh, often high quality food and drink it's a, it's a positive for the sector sorry a positive for the consumer you know it's uh, it means that you know the consumer has many more high quality eating and drinking opportunities than he had so, you know certainly 10 20 years ago think back 20 years ago really all you, you had was kind of The American brands over here already, maybe Peace Express and uh, Weatherspoon. Yes, that's the extent of the branded uh, restaurant offer in the UK market.
1: A bit more confidence, can't you, about the the quality of what you're going to experience?
2: Um, I guess that is why people choose brands, you know, they can rely on the experience uh, and the price point they're paying uh, when they go through the doors.
1: I'm quite interested with with what you do. You talk, you just before you shared a little bit about you know, the marketplace that you operate in, uh, you mentioned about your about, about you know people being able to now write and uh, with the with the internet being able to sort of target a marketplace. And actually, you know, I wonder you know what you do and uh, what people are doing has probably been, I suspect, quite disruptive to you know some of the you know some of the, the traditional forms of media uh, yeah. and forms of communication because actually people can. Can create uh, create their own readership. People can create their own radio show. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's is the rise of the micro blogger. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a it is a major trend, isn't it? And uh, there probably isn't a single uh, traditional print media company that's not uh, struggling with the challenge of how you uh, how you cope with this changing this changing landscape. You know, and advertisers also, you know. Um, are moving away um, at speed from traditional print media to to digital and face-to-face opportunities and different types of, of marketing spend, um, and it's it's all happening uh, a remarkable uh, lick. I was just yes,
1: looking at that, that, yes, that yesterday. yesterday. And the Yellow Pages, and uh, <laughs> and also the Thompson's Directory, and uh, these are directories in the UK which used to have lots of advertising in them, and uh, there was a phone book, and uh, and they were huge, like encyclopedias. And today, yeah. I mean, if they get any smaller. They're going to
2: be diary size, aren't they? Oh yeah. I mean, the, the amazing All thing is Thompson that the, the digital advertising. Um, you know, you can tell your advertisers, you know, how many and who looked at the um, at the advert. Mm. You know, the the send out systems are you know, show you who's opening your send outs, your newsletters and your other stuff. And, you know, there they are, you know, eyeballs are there listed for you. Whereas, you know, if you send a magazine out through the post, no one can ever tell an advertiser that, that X has definitely looked at a certain advert. It's impossible. so that's, that's a huge advantage that digital uh, advertising platforms have. Te-
1: te- te- works. Yeah, well, you, you,
2: like I say, you know, the, the system is like MailChimp to actually tell you who who's open email.
1: Mm. Yeah. Very, very powerful, isn't it? I remember when, when I was at uh, studying marketing at university many years ago, I remember somebody saying, if you, could, um, if you put down in your exam that advertising directly impacts sales, you will fail. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and we can tell that very easy now,
2: can't we? Yeah, there's still a bit of a mystery around marketing, isn't it? What actually has, has worked and what hasn't worked. But, uh, you know, at least uh, we have here, you know, a way of telling advertisers which pairs of eyeballs have scanned their advert. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean they'll necessarily go on and buy, but, uh, you know, that, that is a, a very powerful thing.
1: We've just got a couple of minutes to, to the commercial break now, but I, I wonder, just kind of quickly, you know, as a person of... You know, I see it as being someone of real influence in the, the sectors that you operate in. You know, what are the benefits and pitfalls of anyone who's trying to be, you know, someone of influence in their market? Um,
2: the benefits, uh, I think, heavily out, outweigh the, uh, the pitfalls. If you're a trusted source of information, um, then essentially, um, you know, you start to gather gather strength um, as a newsletter. So people start to forward, you know, as you mentioned, in respect to your contact, forward your uh, email on, which becomes a you know a, um, a virtuous circle of fresh signups. So you know we've only ever um, grown organically by th- word of mouth. We've never put people on the uh, recipient list without them, um, you know, knowing, as it were. So you know the, the benefits are enormous in terms of being able to. Go on and introduce events and conferences and study tours and, and networking events. Once you gather this community and have this position of influence, and it's really difficult to think of the pitful, uh, any major pitfalls, except that you know the ones that come with uh, uh, any position of responsibility. And that's you know um, the editorial requirement not to sensationalise, to be fair, to be balanced, to uh, allow people to discuss an issue um, in a in an even-handed way. Um, and um, you know, when you don't stick to those time-honoured editorial standards, then then there is a danger that you know your your uh, your thing becomes discredited. So that, that is the major the major trap, if you like, or, or or challenge sticking to the time-honoured editorial um, standards. Really,
1: yeah. Okay, we'll come back and talk more about your newsletter later because I think there's a lot of learnings from your experience that would be really, really helpful to people. But we're going to go into a commercial break now. And after the break, I did ask Paul, you know, what were some of the sort of key components of mastering your market? So we're going to start to talk about some of those. Then we'll move into some real specifics about creating you know, fabulous content. So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. So do hang on and join us.
0: tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper.
1: Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Paul Charity, and we're chatting about how to master your market. And uh, Paul, when we were having our pre-chat, you shared with me some of the key components of mastering your market. And the first you said was you've got to really build your expertise. And I wondered, how do you best do that?
2: Um, I, I'm not sure there's any kind of um, shortcut. You, know, you simply have to, you know, it's the old 10,000 hours thing, talk to as many people as possible, read as much as you can, just gather as much information uh, as you're able as quickly as you can. And I feel like you understand, you know, um how the market works, who the key players are, what the key themes are, um, and keep building. You know, it's a self-select process, interesting in terms of our newsletter and who actually uh, you know, reads it. You know, it's the some of the best retailers in the UK, you know, self-select because they're still um, hungry for fresh information. And in a fast-changing market, like the food service market certainly is. You know, you simply have to keep refreshing yourself every single day because it's it's all moving so quickly.
1: And has your has your market always been you know very specific, or has the you know the sending out of your newsletter and the people who have been attracted to it has that influenced uh, the market that you serve? Has it grown, or
2: um, the, well, the readership has grown phenomenally since we started organically, which is a sign—the key sign—that uh, uh, people you know enjoy the information. Um, that we sent out um, and uh, as I mentioned before you know, because the market's growing anyway that's a huge advantage for us in terms of, of picking up uh, readers you know, each and every day
1: because mm. you, cause you um, I mean, just to help people understand you know, the, the markets really that you're serving you're, you know, do you want to just articulate uh, you know, who, who specifically uh, in terms of its, you know, its pubs and restaurants and those sorts of things do you want to just share the breadth of it
2: Uh, Okay, Um, we, you know, I took the view when we started that things had changed uh, in the UK marketplace in that once upon a time, uh, you know, I I worked on a a magazine that was entirely dedicated to the pub market. The pub market, you know, was 50,000 pubs 10 years ago. Uh, 60,000 pubs 10 years ago is now around 48,000 pubs. So it's contracted by 10,000 pubs. The reason it's contracted is that, there are many more uh, competitors that arrived on the scene so it's it's you know it's sitting now to regard the pub market as standalone because its competitors are the coffee shops uh, the people offering food to go um other food retailers um the accommodation market isn't straightforward either it's not just hotels there are vast numbers of pubs also offering accommodation So, you know, I started off with a view that essentially anybody operating in in this market would be interested in restaurants, in uh, quick service restaurants, in coffee shops, in hotels, in any kind of serving of food and drink outside of the home. And also, uh, you know, the people that are offering food and drink to uh, eat in the home. So people like Domino's. And even people like the, uh, the supermarkets. And, you know, uh, this morning, for example, we reported that Lidl had hired uh, a Michelin-starred gastropub chef uh, to start to develop uh, an own-label premium food offer. So, you know, um, Little would like to, to pinch a few customers away from the gastropub market. Extraordinary thought. But, you know, if you can buy really high-quality premium food from Lidl, for a fraction of the price it costs to go to a gastro pub then you know might you give up one or two visits a month to buy a little food you probably would yes, yes. so this is a fresh competitor that's you know the market needs to be aware of So it's another it's a, a market disruptor it is a market disruptor yeah someone doing something uh, that's very competitive for a fraction of the price that's always a massive challenge to anybody in any marketplace
1: and you, um, you know, what you're talking about. There, you're very much all the time sort of understanding the market, and you're watching it, and you're listening to it, aren't you? And and learning from it. Are other the best ways to kind of accelerate your awareness of a market?
2: I, um, it I it's a difficult one. It's a difficult question. I uh, I just think it's a question of you know there is no magic dust you can sprinkle on this. You simply have to immerse yourself. And, uh, you know, uh, create domain expertise uh, as deep uh, uh, as you can, as fast as you can, and just keep on adding. It's almost a foot race to gather information. You know, the more information you've absorbed, the more chance you are of seeing, you know, seeing the stories that are really going to interest your readers. Perhaps an example yesterday was that I was sent the J.D. Weatherspoon uh, magazine, and it's a 72-page magazine, and it's full of in-house stories about fundraising—the kind of stories that wouldn't be particularly of interest to the to the, the the wider industry. But tucked away on about page 60 was a story about the new um, Weatherspoon pub at, at Stansted, which breaks new ground for the industry because it's the first time Weatherspoon is going to introduce a rotisserie offer. It's never done this before mm-hmm. um, in a 7,000 square foot pub, so a giant airport pub. Um, so essentially, it's, it was a bit of a needle in a haystack. You know, um, I had to read 72 pages of a magazine that's sort of fairly in-house and not particularly of news value to the wider sector to find the one bit of information that uh, was clearly, you know, going to be uh, fascinating for the rest of the sector. The weather has changed its food delivery model the first time to uh, start to offer, you know, uh, rotisserie chicken, whatever.
1: Yeah, so, and you... Um, you- know your key sort of key, key strategy that you um, have is to share what is important in your sectors and you just um you've identified the article there in the j d Weatherstone brochure um How do you tend to decide what is important for your marketing maybe you should just also just share um how you communicate to them and the mechanisms you use because you're you know, you're yeah. not just doing one newsletter a month for example are you
2: no um we, um, I think, a really important thing is to be um, to be part of someone's uh, daily s- schedule. So um, when you send out information, uh, people know when it's coming, and and hopefully even look forward to it a little bit. Yes. Um, and you know, the, the big question is when is the right moment in the day to send that information? Well, um, you know. Um, we, We've decided, for better or for worse, that the best time to send our, our major chunk of information, which is 6,000 words, around 30 stories of market overview, uh, uh, the best time to send that out is each morning at 6.30. So, you know, um, 6.30 in the morning, it goes out uh, Monday to Friday to the uh, to the readership. And um, you know, essentially, you know, this is a USP. And we think... This catches people over their coffee in the morning, while they're travelling into work, uh, with some downtime. So, you know, all the moments in the day when when it might be timing. This might we, we think this is the best in the sense that we catch people before the day gets started. You set them up for the day. They have this this briefing they rely on um, to understand what you know what they need to know within 10, 15 minutes. By, reading, scanning the stories, they won't read every story, but scanning the stories that are interested. And then, you know, having set them up for the day, um, you know, and in the UK market, we only have really one competitor which does something similar uh, on a paid-for basis. We're free-to-air, so we don't charge people to receive the information, which means that our circulation has grown exponentially. Um, you know, only one other competitor in the whole of this marketplace, and that's a bad position to be in. And then we top that up with with uh, with a, a send, send out of breaking news as and when. And then, you know, that relies on, on a judgment on what amounts to news that's important enough to actually interrupt people's day to tell them about it. So we might do one or two of those a day. Uh, and then on a Friday, 11 a.m., again, part of becoming people's schedule in the week, we send out, I think we call the Friday opinion. So once a week, we gather three or four industry opinions on burning topics, 800 words each, and send out an, op- an opinion, uh, standalone opinion email. People love opinion. People love perspective. People love insight. So above and beyond the news, here's people's interpretation of, of uh, you know, how they see the trends in the sector. Arriving, as I say, you know, in a way that people can set their watch by. They know it's coming 11 a.m. on, on a Friday morning.
1: Excellent. I think, uh, the thing I noticed with your newsletter is, as, as you'd said, it, it, Besides um, maybe um, emails that have come from overseas for me, yours is right at the top of the, the, the fresh stuff for the day when I when I sit down. <laughs> so th- I think that's quite um, quite smart. I don't just just sort of a, a thought here. I imagine compared to some of the, the sort of printed magazines and things that uh, I know this sort of sector still has. You must have quite um, you must be quite <laughs> disruptive in terms of. You know, you're there early, six thirty, and it's fresh. Yeah. Uh, how do you compare with with you know? You, you can be more. You're more fleet of foot, I would imagine, and flexible.
2: Well, I think uh, one of the things about um, becoming self-employed, in yourself, is that you know, anyone that's uh, self-employed tell you, you know, the, the fear of uh, only two options, succeed or fail. Um, that's quite a stark um, pair of options, really. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> to succeed, you know, you, you'll, you know, you will work that bit harder essentially i think you know it's fair to say uh, than perhaps someone on a salary so you know we are here prepared to get up at uh, you know five in the morning and look at the the wires overnight look at the newspapers look at what's coming through the inbox and even though the, the newsletter is substantially written by then we will top up edit change around just to make sure that our send out at six thirty in the morning um is absolutely bang on topical in and, you know, is really a comprehensive overview of, you know, what's happening in the sector to give you a briefing to start your day.
1: Brilliant. And and what are your, your sort of top lessons for people from from creating the Propel newsletter?
2: Um, my top lessons, I think, I've touched on. I think it's around being reliable, um, being trusted. Um, I think an instinctive understanding. For what readers want to read you know, really helps. I think we—I have the advantage of having, you know, started a pub company, and will constantly tap into what it was I was interested in reading back then. Mm. And those things are around, you know, kind of retail ideas around uh, around um, tapping into finance, around property, around personnel around, you know, novel ways of, of running companies, um, around technological in- innovations. You know, the things that, you know, take you from good to great as a retailer. Yes. Make, it make you sustainable. Um, you know, those That's the information that's golden. So, you know, I don't tend to take enormous interest in the political, for example, although we, we obviously cover that. But we take an enormous interest in, you know, in, in retailing trends and marketing trends and something in technology because these things will shape people's businesses you know t- today and tomorrow you know unless you keep on top of them you know you, you'll probably get surpassed by a, a competitor at some stage
1: yes yes makes sense how would you recommend other people best create and develop their newsletter in terms of maybe sort of look and feel and uh, technology and that sort of thing
2: yeah well i can't say i'm a, you know i i'm, I'm uh, that uh, you know good at uh, the technology side of things fortunately I have someone that joined us right from the start that's, that's a genius in terms of things like design and um you know uh, mail outs and websites and all those kinds of things so as with any team you know it, we've come together with separate skills and they, they complement each other uh in terms of um you know of um, a newsletter you know i think it's you know, I think the the, um, the kind of the thirst for information out there uh, is enormous in any sector, uh, because it, it, all sectors share the same um, constant of change, um, uh, and change is happening faster than ever. So I think it's it's possible to capture, you know, a, a really high quality community of readers in any sector, assuming the information you're providing arrives in a in a digestible timely way, and is 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 on the money essentially meets the requirements uh, of the readers and
1: and that's uh that sort of dedication that you you up there at five o'clock in the morning uh tweaking what you've done the, the night before uh, it sounds like that's uh, combined with the persistence to write uh you know you know, it feels to me that you just you have this enormous sense of dedication. That do you, do you re- recommend other people should be sending mailings out every day in their sector, or you know what would you recommend to somebody who's maybe like a consultant or something like that?
2: Yeah, I think if you're a consultant and you're on a the periphery, then you're on the risk of uh, annoying people. Don't you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you blitz some in the information and you haven't got uh, anything new to say, um, but if you're doing what we're doing, which is essentially journalism, then, you know, um, the idea is to become the beacon, you know, to be transmitting the information that's, uh, that's of value, to occupy the space, to become the most valued. Uh, and you only occupy the space by by doing quantity and quality. So, um, yeah, assuming the sector's big enough um, and assuming, you know, you can gather the information that's of value in sufficient quantities... Then you know, yeah, I think anyone doing something similar for it, the sector should be doing it as regularly as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, because you come from the world of journalism, that's uh, that's like a, a core for you, isn't it? It for I've seen other people, you know, really saturate their market with video, for example. Um, yeah,
2: I think the other thing is that uh, yeah, I mean, there are, well, I was talking to somebody today about a fresh idea around video for this marketplace. Um, but um, by definition video you know uh, it takes much more resource to gather than uh, information um, so that's a different kind of challenge requires a different kind of resource um, and for the moment you know we are a word based information service um, so life in that sense is a bit uh, a bit easier for us yes
1: I've got a, a connection we've got a couple of shows with um, a guy called Frank Furness and uh, I'm very, I'm very fond of Frank. I think he's been a, he's been a fantastic guest both times I've had him on. And the last time I spoke to him, he said, said what have we you know what we've been up to. And he said, "Oh, last week I was back at my my home in the states, um, and I, I created 55 videos. I think it was." Uh, he said over four million hits on YouTube. And for him, because he's got slick at it, he can produce you know these videos in huge quantity and good quality,
2: yeah,
1: and get them out there. Uh, they're fast, um, but it just takes some. Uh, some time
2: doesn't it to learn the different ways to to do what you do also you know you generally need to be face to face which requires travel Uh, you know it's uh, that bit more time consuming
1: (laughs) (laughs) definitely well we're going to go to commercial break again um, right now and uh, we'll be back with you again in a couple of minutes for some more information around things like newsletters and maybe I'll touch on events as well if we've got the time so we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes
0: facilitated leader development workshops and speeches email info at be to arrange a free no obligation consultation to see how chris and his team can help you do you like most americans spend the majority of your life at work are you making it the joy that it deserves to be or are you feeling drained and unfocused tune in to a great place to work with hosts kurt kaufman and dr kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a
2: member of Voice America. It's always free and easy.
1: Hi, it's Chris Cooper of uh, chriscooper.co.uk and I'm with uh, Paul Charity and we're talking about um, mastering your marketing. I-, I wonder, Paul, one of the things I was thinking about when we were chatting is when, I remember when I first um, started issuing some newsletters, um, getting a real sinking feel feeling when I got unsubscribes. <laughs> I-, <laughs> I don't know what you think about that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I will be feeling of rejection. Um, yeah, that's uh, interesting actually because... Uh, We probably get one unsubscribe for every 20 Mm signups, a a ratio of that order. And uh, I'm really positive about unsubscribed. You know, I take the view that essentially these are people that aren't really interested in this sector. (laughs) They can't be, otherwise, they'd uh, they'd stay subscribed. So essentially, you know, what we're doing is an ongoing cleansing process. We're gathering many people that are interested in the sector and losing those that have come across as by mistake or aren't truly really engaged or, you know, occasionally moving on, you know, people do leave the sector uh, to join other sectors uh, and their interest has uh, as waned. So, it's uh, it's a natural kind of, you know, uh, evolutionary process and I think a, a big positive and to start with, you know, the team would say, oh no, I lost somebody, I lost a reader <laughs> and, <laughs> and there is a policy that takes it personally You know, at the start. It's uh you know, essentially, you know, you can see the pattern over time. We seldom lose someone that actually operates a pub, a, a restaurant, a food service outlet. We lose uh, the occasional peripheral supplier that for whom this isn't the major market. So you can see the pattern. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's positive on the whole.
1: Yeah, I suppose some people... Uh, some people don't get into the habit of reading and uh, they're just clearing their inboxes out sometimes. It's nothing personal, is it? It's
2: uh, Well, some people aren't big readers, are they?
1: Yeah. Yes, I know someone who runs a big publishing company and he doesn't really read a book
2: <laughs> <laughs> very
1: often. Um, he's great at his job, though. But um, So I wondered then, um, any tips on creating valuable content and writing it?
2: Um like I say, I, you know, I think the important thing is getting to get into the head of, of of some sort of composite reader. Uh, and, you know, the, once you have your domain um, expertise, you know, you, you've got the stage where you feel like you know the kind of content that your reader uh, really uh, wants to read. So, you know, there is a process, I guess, in terms of of getting to the stage where you understand or fully understand what your readers are looking for, and I guess there are other ways you can you can do that. You can actually uh, hold some focus groups uh, and ask people. Um, but I, you know, I also believe, I firmly believe, from years of editing magazines as well, that a lot of people uh, don't actually aren't actually able to articulate the kind of content they're looking for until you supply it to them. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's, it's not always easy, you know. Uh when you start producing the, the kind of right kind of content, then you get, you know, it's amazing how you can create some cut through engagements. People suddenly say, I love that. I've not seen that kind of thing before. That's the kind of content I'm looking for. And more of that, please. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's part art, part science, I think.
1: And sometimes something just lands at the right moment for people too, doesn't it? it yeah. It, uh, but for other people, it's not relevant. It's, it's uh, Well,
2: that's the other thing. Everything you write will be relevant for every every person that reads you. It's a bit like you know a TV schedule. You know, you'll attract different people, different things you write, and part of it is essentially laying out, you know, what you might call a, a buffet of information, a smorgasbord of information. So you're confident there is something there for everybody uh, in the readership. You know, you, you know, you might you know it might be different. Uh, Different sort of parts of the sector, for different readers, but it's all there essentially. If you want to find out what's going on the sector, you know something in the uh, newsletter will be will be highly relevant to the part of the market you operate in.
1: Mm. Do you do you have any? If you're writing, say, um, I can use the example because you asked me to write something for your your magazine um, for an article or something. Should it have you know? Do you look for it to have certain, so many key points? Does it need to have a great title? Uh, yeah. And I, t- tips, because I, I was a little bit, um, you know, a little bit challenged by writing up the article myself. The
2: yeah. Ninety-five percent of the time when I invite somebody to write something for us, I tend to say, they'll say to me, what do you want me to write about? Uh, I will say, let the subject choose you. Mm. So um, when you sit down at your keyboard and you start to think about what you're going to write about, something will just naturally rise to the top of your mind that you really care <laughs> yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing that you should be writing about, not the thing I tell you to write about. So invariably, we're tapping into your own domain expertise, your own experiences as a writer, and uh, you know, by some kind of magical process, the subject will uh, will come to the top of your you know your brain when you uh, when the moment comes. So that's my approach to uh, to let people discover that that subject and trust them to to uh, uh, you know write about it with. With you know, the passion that will naturally flow forth once they've uh, once they've found it, if you like,
1: that's a that's a really good recommendation. That um, do, do you um do you I mean in terms of things like some people are you know really great at grammar and they're really kind of spot on with it. Do you, how how important
2: is you know great grammar? Um, Thing is, <laughs> nobody's got perfect grammar. You know, it's one of those things. um, you know, I remember somebody writing that so there was a, a sub editor on, on the New Yorker. I believe that was, there was no end to the amount of clarity you could produce brings to an article by adding commas. Um, <laughs> 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 so it's, a, it's a bit of a, a, a mute subject, really, uh, and most people tend to have grammar It's not not brilliant. But you know, that's my technical professional background, so I can I can correct that as long as the, the thinking's there. Yes, and the, the bits of of. Uh, Technical suffering around about the twiddly stuff. We can sort that at
1: this end essentially. So that's good. My my wife left me feeling a bit insecure uh, a while ago, a uh, couple two or three years ago. She's absolutely brilliant at grammar. She's slightly dyslexic actually, <laughs> she's brilliant at it. I'm very good at naturally at spelling, so we're a really good team. But um, she looks at my grammar and just despairs. <laughs> it's like oh, it's like know, a bit insecure about it. Yeah,
2: yeah, there are a few of us grammar nazis out there still, kind of and you know, essentially. You know, yeah. depressed at the thought that uh, no one knows where apostrophes go. <laughs> <laughs> and people are still confusing fewer and less and all those kinds of things. But, um, you know, it's not It's not the most important thing. It's the thinking that's the key thing in terms of contributed articles. We can sort out the, the ground by the scent. Excellent. Excellent.
1: So let's, let's move on to um, talking about the this whole kind of uh, group, sort of, you think you describe it to me as a kind of outreach services that you oh. that you kind of now offer. Um, t- tell us a little bit about what you do offer. Um, as yeah, I think we
2: establish this information platform that goes out on a very regular basis? There's the opportunity to to essentially um, reinforce the sense of community by creating a, the, a series of events for this, this marketplace. So the uh, the trick here is to work out where the gaps are and then go out and, and fill them. And once you start to, to, to run successful events, you know, you're creating a tremendously powerful virtuous circle in that you get to know many more people on an ongoing basis who come to you with their stories. They come to you with their stories because they re- receive the newsletter, because they attend your events, and they get to know you. So you're creating you know, quite a, a powerful thing going forward. So since we launched um, three years ago, we've looked to add four events uh, per year. So we're going to our fourth year right now. Uh, two weeks to our fourth year. We have, for example, tried to meet uh, training requirements by by running masterclasses. So we we've teamed up with the, the leading academic in the UK and the and the US to offer a one-day masterclass in running multi-site units. The big challenge for anybody in this marketplace, a social media masterclass. Uh, we have networking events. So for example, you know, we noticed there was no no event that allowed people with great ideas, but no money to meet people with money and, and no ideas,
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> the banks, um, and, and others. So we, we launched an event where essentially, you know, up and coming companies with three or four really successful sites. Say, and essentially, you know, now f- trying to look for the funding on the power ahead, get some people, meet the people, the private equity people, the venture, venture funds, uh, the banks, um, Angel investors who will uh, possibly prepare to back them. Uh, we do um, things like there's nothing like seeing things firsthand. And the wonderful thing about this sector is that people are really, really happy to share what they know, what they've learned. So we uh, we organize study tours. We, we launched one two months ago that was essentially a big coming trend in this market it's craft beer. All of a sudden, there's a huge fascination. Among consumers, with you know, with provenance, uh, with quality ingredients, with flavour, with quality, you know, low batch production beer. So, and, and retailers of notice, so they've massively expanded their their craft beer offer. If you like, started brewing on site. So we took you know, we took people around some of the best craft beer pub and bar retailers in London on a day tour. Uh, in May, we go to Chicago. Um, with 40 of the industry's brightest and best to explore upcoming food concepts in Chicago, to go to the biggest restaurant conference uh, on the planet, uh, you know, swap ideas and uh, have a nice time. You know, people in this sector tend to be quite sociable, uh, and we have you know a number of specialist conferences now. So, for example, we do a menu trends conference. A UK and US menu trends conference with the largest insights research firm uh, in the states, a company called Technology Based in Chicago. We're essentially we're looking at what's happening, uh, what are the coming trends in terms of you know what's appearing on menus in the UK, uh, in the US, and where you know where we see it going uh, in the in the medium term. So in each case, you know we are essentially spotting an area of the market where people need information uh, or Greater understanding and learning, and trying to you know, meet that uh, requirement.
1: Brilliant, as a, a huge range of things. I mean, and any kind of tips and learnings on on creating great events for people who may be considering it. And so we've only got a, probably about a minute and a half for this question. I think two
2: minutes. Yeah, I think it's um, you know uh, sometimes you know talk to people. What is it you you feel like you know you need? And uh, that's a, a good starting point. So, um, you know, we we are launching a social media masterclass next month. And you know, lots of people in their 30s and 40s who founded these companies for whom, you know, the social media revolution is really uh, all a bit of a mystery. You know, the kids, yeah. kids are going to study better than they do. So, essentially, you know, it's an area where they need to go back and pick up the skills, really, the understanding the insights that have perhaps passed them by. So, and that was... that came out of a conversation with operators who said, you know, I'd love to have a one-day, a one-day event where I could really get a great overview of what amounts to best practice in terms of social media. So uh, that was the need, and we're looking to uh, fill it. Well, that's the next event. Yeah. That
1: sounds good. So have you got any, any key messages that you'd like to leave us with?
2: I think uh, the key message is, uh, as always, you know, anything you do, uh, Once you, you know, if you enjoy what you do, uh, then it doesn't feel like work. Um, yeah. We love this marketplace, we love the people, uh, it's exciting uh, and it's interesting and therefore nothing we do feels like work particularly, we're just sort of following a hobby across you know, 15 hours a week. And you've, and you've been able to
1: sort of leverage it and to, it develops a, you know, cash flow and your business is growing and so it's wonderful isn't it?
2: That's the happy outcome I think of working in an area that you really enjoy, which is this, always the starting point. Always a starting point. But Paul, it's really come across today
1: that you you really enjoy what you what you do, and you know, full congratulations from me in terms of what you've achieved in three years, which I think is uh, I think is phenomenal and really inspiring, uh, and some really great tips and ideas in there uh, for anybody who's looking at um, you know, becoming known in their marketplace and uh, and wanting to you know write newsletters and then build a, a business uh, on the the back of all of that. Um, insight so thank you so much Paul for joining us today
2: thank you for inviting, uh, inviting me on you very welcome
1: and if you want to find out more about uh, Paul Charity and Propel um, www.propelinfo.com is that correct Paul?
2: that's correct, right, yeah
1: excellent and if you've got any questions or feedback um, please send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk and uh, On the next week's show, um, we have a pre-recorded interview that I did um, a couple of weeks ago early last week with Jack Canfield, uh, and America's number one success expert and the author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, which has sold incredibly over 500 million copies. Um, we also have uh, Amanda Brown, the founder of the Leading Ladies Company, and we're going to be talking about the success principles and uh, the... Uh, Uh, The the engineer who worked on the show said it was outstanding. So uh, they only say that when they mean it. So I would well recommend that you listen to that one. Once again, thank you very much to Paul Charity, and uh, I wish you all well.
0: Thank you for listening to Be More, Achieve More. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, typically 4 p.m. London on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week.